Welcome to the Awareness Offerings Podcast, a weekly offering of yoga philosophy discussion and guided meditation for the moments we're living in. I'm your host, Laura Tara Davy Joplin. I'm a yoga and meditation teacher, spiritual social media strategist, and integrative counselor, working to integrate the principles of the spiritual path into every aspect of my work and my life. This podcast is an extension of that work as I navigate the world as a white woman devotee of yoga, living at many intersections of privilege, living in the West, and trying to live with awareness. Thank you for joining me in this work. You're listening to episode 16, The Yoga of Feeling Safe. Welcome back, everybody. We are back to the regular structure and flow of the podcast this week. Last week was a little different. I have felt called for some time to offer a free YouTube class, which is something I was doing quite often about a year ago, but since life has shifted a bit, it's been more difficult to make time and space for that. But I felt really strongly that I wanted to do that. Um, And so instead of offering a full discussion and guided meditation on the podcast last week, I offered some discussion and then invited you to join me on YouTube for a full length yoga class because it's not really feasible to record a full podcast and a full full length yoga class in one week. And so I decided to combine them. But now we are back to the regular flow of this show. We will spend some time in yoga philosophy discussion and then we'll practice a guided meditation together. So I'm really glad you're here. And as always, if you'd like to support what's going on here on the show, the best ways to do so are by rating and leaving a review on whatever platform you're using to listen. And if you feel called to share on social media, you can tag me at Laura Tara. If you feel called to hype it up to your friends, I'm honored, but fully honored just to have you here and have you listening. So welcome and thank you. And we will begin with our traditional opening ritual of singing the sound of Om one time. Om is the sound of consciousness. It is said to be the hum of the universe, the consciousness that makes up everything in existence. And when we sing it, we're asking for it. We're asking that kind of consciousness to be with us. And so you can do this practice by singing out loud or just listening silently. Both are forms of practice. But if you're coming along with me, I'll invite you to get your body into a comfortable position. You can close your eyes. You can gaze down the tip of your nose. You can gaze at the floor. Just doing whatever is supportive and safe for you to do right now to soften your external vision and look internally a little bit more instead. And then I'll invite you to take a deep breath in through your nose if nostril breathing is possible for you today. Exhale fully through your nose, just clearing the path for consciousness with your breath. And then inhale for one ohm. Thank you for joining me in that practice. And now we'll go into this week's discussion. And this discussion is on the topic of safety. 
And it's one that's been coming up a lot in a lot of different places, it feels like, both for me in my own personal life and experience and growth, and for my clients. I am an integrative counselor. I'm studying to get a master's degree in clinical social work, and I offer counseling services uh, to a small handful of clients. And what I offer is a combination of traditional talk therapy and yoga and meditative uh, practices and techniques. And so uh, for my clients, this idea of safety has come up as well recently. And it seems like culturally, um, nationally, for those of us in the US, and even globally, this idea of safety uh, is very present. And I'll talk about what all of that means throughout this discussion. But first, I just want to be clear that the kind of safety that I'm going to be talking about in this episode relates primarily to women. And I use the word women in the most open way possible. I do not just mean cisgender women. Um, I am also holding open space for transgender women, non-binary people whose identity intersects with womanhood, um, people who present in a femme way. Um, But I will be touching on safety in terms of the broad experience of womanhood. um, And with the acknowledgement that I only have one very specific experience of womanhood. I am I am cisgendered. I am bisexual, but straight passing. I am white. I am middle class. I have a small and able body. Um, so acknowledging that, but we're talking about safety in terms of womanhood. Um, and this discussion will also, or it, it will include themes of abuse, abusive relationships, um, abusive patterns, um, and kind of how we relate to those as women. So if those topics are activating for your nervous system, for your trauma, and you don't feel like you can hold the space for them and receive them right now, this might be a podcast episode for you to skip. Uh, And I say that with all my love and blessings. So safety. I am a student of psychology. I have a Bachelor of Science in psychology, and uh, I'm studying clinical social work for my master's, which is very much tied to the field of psychology, Um, includes many psychological themes and intersects with psychology pretty heavily. Um, And so I am familiar with kind of different psychological concepts. And one psychological concept that I have uh, studied for many years and which kind of connected and resonated with me as soon as I first learned about it in undergraduate school is Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And it is this kind of template, this framework for understanding ourselves created by a psychologist named Abraham Maslow. And it looks like a pyramid because it basically lays out different types of needs, one on top of the other. And it's not to say that the needs that are on the bottom of the pyramid are better or more or less important than the needs on the top. The idea is that those on the bottom have to be satisfied. We have to be taken care of in certain ways before we can think about the needs that are higher up on this hierarchy, on this um, kind of diagram or framework of needs, if you will. And the needs at the very bottom are biological and safety needs, whereas the needs more toward the top are self-actualization, kind of purpose, self-understanding needs. And then there are several different layers in between. But the implication is that our safety 
and biological needs, which are usually pretty deeply tied together, not always, but um, our safety needs have to be taken care of before we can start thinking about deeper, the deeper qualities of our lives, like how we want to connect with people, how we want to serve people, what our purpose is, what makes us happy. We can't really touch into that until we feel safe. And so the, the teaching in that is that safety is a really key component of any of the other layers and qualities of our lives. We have to feel safe first, according to this concept of the hierarchy of needs by Abraham Maslow. And I'm, I've always found it really interesting that in my studies, this hierarchy of needs correlates pretty closely to the chakra system, uh, to the energy system that has been laid out by yoga philosophy, wherein we have seven major energy centers along our spine. There are hundreds you know, throughout the body, but the seven major ones live along the spine, one on top of the other. And the first energy center at the base of the spine is also connected and correlated with our biology, our physicality, and feeling safe. Whereas the seventh major energy center at the top of our head is also associated with self-actualization, feeling whole, feeling complete, feeling connected. And I don't think with the chakras, with these energy centers, it's quite as linear where, you know, we can't access or learn about or work with one before we figure out the others, right? I don't think it works like that, but it is really interesting to me that this idea that, um, you know, safety is at the beginning, it's at the very beginning of our, excuse me, it's at the very beginning of our chakra system. I find it really interesting that it's really connected to this psychological concept um, that safety, our safety needs really have to be fulfilled before we can go deeper uh, in life. And so all of that is to establish the fact that according to both uh, psychology and to yoga philosophy, both of which I study and love and try to combine in as many ways as possible in my life, according to both of these fields of wisdom, safety is fundamental. Feeling safe is fundamental. And like I said, it's coming up right now a lot. It's coming up for me personally I was in a spiritual growth and meditation class last night with my spiritual teacher, Swami Jayadevi. She's an urban yoga monk here in Atlanta, uh, where I live. And every week she teaches about yoga philosophy and then guides a meditation, kind of similarly uh, to what we do here on this podcast. But she, um, she is someone who has dedicated her entire life to the teachings of yoga, to serving other people through the teachings of yoga. And she's a renunciate. She has renounced the world in many ways in order to to help people and to prioritize spiritual growth. So she teaches these spiritual growth classes every Wednesday. And last night I was in a spiritual growth and meditation class with her and we were having a conversation um, because this is a time in the yoga and Hindu tradition, which are very deeply tied to one another because they come from the same place in the same time in India. Um, But in the yoga and Hindu tradition, the time, this time of year, I'm recording this in late September, uh, is associated with ancestor work, with kind of doing work to make ourselves feel fulfilled on a cellular level with the understanding that this heals our ancestors who've come before us also. It heals those who will come after us in our family line, and it heals everyone that's here with us now. So that's kind of the work we were doing in this class last night. And she and I were having a conversation 
because what had come up in this class is you know letting go of the pain of certain ancestral relationships and someone had asked about you know letting go of the pain without letting go of the connection and the love and my question after this topic came up was sort of on the opposite end of the spectrum because i basically asked you know what if i want to let go of the pain in service of my own freedom in service of kind of the general capital l love you know that exists everywhere and for everyone what if i want to let go of that pain but i don't want to be connected to the person that i'm letting go um, of the pain around and my teacher and i we had a conversation about it and at one point she looked at me and she affirmed she said you want to feel safe you want to feel safe and that really connected something within me because I there is a certain familial relationship in my generational line that has some pain associated with it um, and I have a lot of anger around that that I am very clear on and have been clear on for quite some time but what I wasn't so much clear on was about or, or what I wasn't clear on so much was that this was also about me feeling safe feeling safe and empowered in myself, in my family line, in my life, feeling safe. And in thinking about this, you know, what do I need to feel safe? And in thinking about how my generational patterns have influenced the way that I've moved through the world, I have become aware that I have actually gravitated toward relationships where I don't feel safe. Um, There is in my DNA, in my family pattern, there is a pattern of unsafe relationships. Um, And so that is something that's according to kind of yoga philosophy, and I'm sure other types of philosophy, that's kind of in my cells. It's in my DNA. And I have had the opportunity recently in my life to be made aware of how much that has impacted me and has influenced my actions, how I have gravitated toward relationships where I don't feel safe. Because what has also come up very recently, and it doesn't feel like a coincidence because it's all happening, um, is that one of my ex-boyfriends reached out to me. Someone I haven't spoken to in five years. My first adult relationship. I was kind of 19-ish to 22-ish during this relationship. Really formative years. Started my 20s. Started adult dating in this relationship. And uh, it was a lot. It was, um, it was intense in a lot of ways. And I haven't spoken to this person in a long time. And this person reached out to me in an attempt to apologize for the way that this relationship unfolded. Um, And I, after sitting with it, realized I was open to the conversation, which I took as a gift of remembering my own capacity to be open-hearted. So I'm grateful for myself in that. Um, Although I was very clear and held a lot of boundaries, the conversation unfolded. And one of the last things that was said in this conversation was my ex acknowledging of his own volition. I did not ask him to say this. I didn't prompt him this, this his own words, um, acknowledging that he was psychologically and sexually abusive to me. 
And of course, there's some part of me that has always known that. <laughs> I have been impacted by this relationship since it happened. I've always known that. Um, although one of the lessons of this time is that I haven't really been looking at it. I haven't really been processing or dealing with that fact. Um, and throughout all the different things that have been unfolding, I am being invited by the universe uh, to look at that. And part of that is hearing the person who was abusive to me saying, I was abusive to you. And that, it, that was both incredibly validating and powerful and empowering, but it was also incredibly activating for my nervous system. It activated old trauma and it was difficult and it was painful. Um, and I had to do a lot of work to take care of myself in that. Um, but I am seeing myself in a new way even though I knew it somewhere in my cellular makeup, in my unconscious mind, I'm seeing myself in a new way as someone who started my 20s in an abusive relationship. And that is not nothing, right? That's impactful. And you've heard me talk about the ways that my different relationships have unfolded on this podcast. Um, although I have tried to be both respectful to my own privacy and to the privacy of others by not being super detailed. I have not been shy about sharing um, the ways that things have unfolded. And several podcast episodes ago, I talked about the decision to break up with someone, a different person, um, which although I was very firm that we don't make wrong choices, and that was the title of the episode, um, I was also very clear that that's not a choice I would make again. And now with this newest development, I am aware of how I actually uh, chose to leave a relationship where I could feel relatively safe and get back into patterns that felt unsafe to me. I didn't know it at the time. I was not consciously choosing to feel unsafe, but something in my patterns was making me feel like the safety was not either not good enough or um, not fulfilling enough, not exciting enough, and that somewhere that I felt unsafe would actually be more fulfilling to me. Because that's what I know. It's in my DNA, and it's a pattern that I have played out uh, throughout my adult life as I am becoming aware of. My nervous system has been wired and my brain has been trained to feel like safety is either not exciting, not fulfilling, not real, and that situations where I feel unsafe are actually where I am safe because it's what I'm familiar with and it's where I can feel okay and I can feel excited. And there's all kinds of stuff around, you know, grabbing onto or creating chaos because feeling unsafe is actually what I'm familiar with. So I have just had the opportunity in a lot of deep ways to become aware of how I gravitate toward relationships that feel unsafe and how it really has started with the fact that it is in my DNA. And that's nobody's fault. Um, it's some people's responsibility. It's also my responsibility to deal with how I have related to that truth. But it's just true that it's in my DNA. And so I have had this opportunity uh, to become really aware of this. And I've been doing a lot of deep work around it. Even before I became consciously aware of this, um, I did this meditation because even before my ex reached out to me, he popped up in a dream in a way that 
it kind of felt like he was in the way of something else, which was information to me that, you know, I have not been really looking at or dealing with this abusive relationship, which I now am able to name it as such. Um, And it's in the way of whatever else I want in life. And so even before he reached out and before I was really conscious of this, I did this meditation um, where I sat with the lineage of men who have impacted my life. Because um, as a woman... And as someone who is bisexual, but primarily dates men, men have had a very specific impact on my life. And so I did this meditation to heal in relation to this lineage of men. And I started with my ancestors and then the men in my family, um, beloved men, right? My dad, my brother, um, who have impacted me in ways that are like helpful and nourishing, but also, you know, just impacted me. And then I chronologically went through, um, the, the, just the, the handful of men who've really impacted my heart, uh, romantically. And I, I brought them each to mind one at a time. And I said, thank you. I love you, which was not easy for some of them. Um, and then I dissolved them in my mind. I, I let them go. And that was me sort of unconsciously and consciously asking for healing in relation to this specific lineage of men. And then all of this stuff starts happening <laughs> where I start processing my feelings for my ex-boyfriend that I broke up with. And then this other ex reaches out to me and names himself as someone who abused me. And then my teacher invites our whole spiritual community into this ancestral healing. And so the universe is really, really making it clear um, that this idea of of needing to feel safe is central. And it's something that is deep soul and cellular level work for me that is um, real and it has impacted me and it's really big for me. But that also means it's probably a doorway to a lot of growth and a lot of openness and a lot of freedom from some suffering that has been hanging around me for a long time. So this idea of safety, especially in relation to relationships that don't feel safe, is really up for me. And like I said, safety is up for some of my clients in other ways too. Um, But one of the reasons that it has been so impactful and wild and difficult at times to think about feeling safe in relationships is because of what's happening nationally right now. I am, this is another kind of content warning I'm going to discuss briefly. The case of Gabby Petito, who um, has been killed, uh, is a young woman who, of 22, who wanted to be a blogger and was on uh, a road trip across the country and is now um, unfortunately no longer with us. I'm going to discuss that. So if that's not something that you want or need to hear, you can skip ahead on this part. But this is unfolding nationally. And there has been a lot of news coverage. There has been a lot of uh, speculation. I'm going to really do my best not to get into that. I'm going to sit with what's in front of us. Because what's in front of us is the fact that there was this um, encounter that Gabby and her boyfriend had with the police uh, where they were uh, pulled over for some erratic driving. The police were called earlier because witnesses saw them engaging in an altercation and they had this encounter with police. And to most people who recognize the patterns, signs, body language, 
etc., of abusive relationships, both people who have been through them and experts on these types of things, forensic psychologists, what have you, most of those people have, after watching the body camera footage that was released of this encounter that that Gabby and her boyfriend had with police, um, have been very clear that the signs are there for this being an abusive relationship. Um, That Gabby was incredibly apologetic, was really very quick to take on full responsibility on herself as if if that's something that she's very used to doing. Um, And that her body language suggests that she's very scared and very traumatized. And more will develop on this as things unfold. And so I don't want to make too many predictions or just be, you know, an unqualified spectator making commentary. Um, Although I am, you know, I am a student. I don't want to, I don't want to take my power away from myself because I am a student of clinical social work and psychology. So I do have some insight into this, but from this body cam footage, it becomes pretty clear that the police officers involved, for better or worse, rel- made up their mind relatively quickly about what was actually happening between these two people, between Gabby and her boyfriend. They made up their mind that Gabby was a hysterical woman um, who was unstable mentally and that her boyfriend was basically, you know, putting up with it, um, and that she was the one who was unstable, and that he was it's not um, in the wrong in any way. And now she's not alive anymore. And like I said, according to people who have been in abusive situations, who are experts on it, and in my own opinion, as someone who has been in an abusive relationship, um, I don't think that the conclusion that the officers came to was correct. That Gabby was the just this unstable woman and Brian was just a, an average nice guy along for the ride with her. Um, it seems very, it seems relatively clear that she was in an abusive situation. That she had been psychologically manipulated to the point where she believed the best thing she could do for her safety is apologize immediately, try to take as much responsibility as possible, um, and yet still couldn't help but display the body language and the mannerisms of someone who uh, is not safe. And one of the reasons that this cultural and it's not a cultural phenomenon it's someone's real life but this unfolding that our entire culture has been able to watch in real time with this case one of the reasons it's been so impactful is that for so many of us the reality is not only have we been there in those situations that um, manipulation has occurred and we are uh, have been so Our reality has been so distorted by another person that we don't know which way is up. Not only have we been there, but we are aware that we may not have been that far away from the outcome of this case. That it, this outcome, this tragic, painful outcome could have been real for so many of us. And I want to be clear that I am aware of the racialized dynamics in this particular case. This is a young, beautiful, blonde, white woman. And because she is who she is, her case has gotten much more coverage than those of 
hundreds of thousands of missing and murdered indigenous women who are harmed uh, constantly of, you know, missing and murdered black women. Um, There is a racialized aspect to this case that is real and it matters. But I don't think the takeaway from that is that um, Gabby's case is getting so much attention only because of her race. It's getting more attention. People care much more because of her race. And that is true. Um, But I think the takeaway is that if even someone who has as many cultural privileges as Gabby, who is beautiful, young, blonde, white, if someone with that much privilege is not safe, think about what that means for people who are more marginalized than Gabby, who have much less privilege than Gabby, for people who are trans, indigenous, black, queer, they are that much more unsafe if even this young woman who by all accounts was vibrant and ambitious and was making a life for herself, if even she, this privileged white woman, is not safe, that means people with less privilege are truly, unfathomably unsafe. And the reality is that women are not safe. And I'm not saying that in a way to, you know, to play on fear, to create fear. Um, One of the definitions of yoga is being willing to be with reality. One of the Hindu goddesses, Kali, who, you know, the Hindu figures are very closely tied and they influence yoga a lot. Her, one of her names is reality. So yoga is a willingness in so many ways to be with reality. And so this is me just trying to be with reality and say that women are not safe. And so many other people with other marginalized identities are also not safe. It's not just women. I'm focusing on women right now because of what's happening um, nationally, culturally, and because of what's coming up in my own life and because that's the experience that I have. But so many marginalized people are not safe. Women... Um, to be a woman is a marginalized identity. Uh, of course, there are different layers to that, but women are not safe also. And according to both spirituality and psychology, feeling safe is fundamental to our ability to then rise up, <laughs> to go deeper than just our bodies and our ability to feel safe in the world and access the deeper qualities of our lives to know ourselves, to know our purpose, to connect with higher consciousness, feeling safe is fundamental to that. And I don't really have a solution for it uh, other than, you know, emotional regulation (laughs) for the folks who commit violence against marginalized people. And I want to take this moment to be clear. When I say women are not safe, I say that with the acknowledgement that abusive relationships happen across uh, genders, all gender identities. I'm speaking uh, from this particular place because it's one that I've been in. Um, but I, but um, to circle back, I, I don't necessarily have a solution to this other than 
you know, systemic change to protect women and marginalized people on a policy level and uh, cultural societal change to support the people who are violent to others in, in regulating their emotions and knowing themselves and connecting to themselves on a deep level so that this kind of violence uh, is not something that is, um, seems like a solution to them. But I'm just sitting here saying, I see us. I see all of us who walk through the world with marginalized identities and feel unsafe. And I see how deeply impactful that is because it is so hard to live a deeper life, to connect with the deeper qualities of ourselves, to connect with the spiritual path and higher consciousness if we don't feel safe. Feeling safe is so fundamental. And although we cannot yoga and meditate our way out of not feeling safe, there are yogic tools to regulate ourselves, um, to feel safe, at least in the moment, in the context of our experience, um, so that we can recalibrate even in a world that is not safe. So this is going to be the moment where I invite us into practice, into some embodied meditation practice. If you're doing something that would make it unsafe for you to sit quietly or just if you're just not in a place where you can sit and meditate, you might pause the podcast and come back when you have that space. But if you're coming along once again, I will invite you to come into a comfortable seat. And your comfortable seat, as always, is any seat where you can lengthen your spine The spine is the central channel of the body. It is where all of our energy moves. It is where the signals, excuse me, that our nervous system sends move. Uh, And so when it's long and open, things just move a little more freely and in a more connected way. So you find a seat where you can lengthen your spine. You might be sitting on the floor in a cross-legged position. That's kind of the classical seated meditation pose. Doesn't mean it's the only one. If you're going to sit on the floor, I highly recommend you sit on something like a pillow or a cushion or blanket, something to lift your hips higher than your knees. You could also sit with your back against the wall. You could put pillows or blocks under your knees for support. You don't even have to sit with your legs crossed. You can extend your legs, bend one or both knees and put your feet on the floor or sit on your heels. You don't even have to sit on the floor. You can get yourself positioned in a chair or on your bed. Again, just a long and open spine. And once you find that, I'll invite you to close your eyes. Gaze softly at the floor or gaze down the tip of your nose. Again, just softening the external vision and prioritizing your internal vision as a way of stepping into yourself and inviting yourself into presence for a meditative practice. And as you settle into yourself, you might settle into the rhythm of your own breathing, just noticing the natural pattern of your inhales and exhales as they come in and out through your nose, if nostril breathing is possible for you. It's not something that you have to change or judge, just something that you watch, like you would watch the sky or the ocean. Just watching what is right now in the form of the breath that is coming in. And the breath that is moving out. Just 
just already starting to regulate the nervous system through awareness of breath, awareness of the rhythm and clarity and reality of your breathing. I'm also aware, though, that breath awareness may not actually feel safe for you. So you could regulate your nervous system and connect to presence by listening for your heartbeat, listening for any sounds around you, feeling the clothes on your skin, just picking something that's happening right now to ground yourself in the reality that you are happening right now. There might be a sense of safety contained within the reminder that you are here. You are sitting in this practice. There is nothing else you have to do right now. Nowhere else you have to go. No one that you have to be. And though it is much easier said than done, there is nothing from the past you have to hold on to. Nothing in the future you have to anticipate. You are here. So maybe settling into that truth with whatever, with either with your breath, excuse me, settling into that truth, either with the rhythm of your breath or with whatever point of awareness you're choosing as a way of already just establishing a sense of it being safe for you to be in this moment. Now, that might not feel entirely straightforward to just feel safe. We don't just get to will ourselves into feeling safe. But you can use your tools to start to create the conditions to feel safe. Your breath and your awareness. And if nothing else, you can work with the intention of feeling safe. Just claiming that you deserve to feel safe, even if it doesn't happen right now. Just calling that toward you. And with your next exhale, I'll invite you just for a moment to bring your focus to the base of your spine, where your tailbone meets the chair, the floor, wherever you're sitting, but ultimately wherever you're sitting is connected to the earth. So really where your tailbone meets the earth. This is the space of the first chakra, the first energy center, which is associated with that sense of safety. So dropping your awareness there, whether by you know, using your imagination to kind of envision and feel into that space at the base of your spine, or kind of listening and feeling for whatever sensations you feel at the base of your spine to bring your focus there. Maybe imagining your breath going in and out there, whatever you need to do. Just landing in this grounding energy center. And you might use the mantra, the 
kind of the affirmation in your mind, inhaling right now, right here, I am safe. Exhaling right now, right here, I am safe. Right now, right here, I am safe. Right now, right here, I am safe. And these kind of words, these affirmations that we bring into our minds kind of give our minds something to settle on that is less stressful than our constantly moving thoughts. So now that you've sort of settled your body and breath, perhaps you take it to the mind, giving it this one steady place to land of right now, right here, I am safe. Right now, right here, I am safe. And again, even if it doesn't feel true right now, even if it doesn't feel straightforward or even doable to feel safe, by saying it in the present tense, you're setting it as an intention for yourself. You're calling forward the intention of feeling safe, even if it doesn't happen right now. Maybe it does happen right now. We'll take a couple more rounds of this affirmation, this mantra of right now, right here, I am safe. Right now, right here, I am safe. And then you can release that affirmation, release those words. And we'll close with a few rounds of a breath practice, some pranayama. This one is called rainbow breath. It is kind of a cousin to fire breath and bellows breath, those kind of deeply expansive and contracting breaths in the lungs and belly. This is similar, happens a little slower. And it's called rainbow breath because it's named after the goddess Tara, the Tibetan Buddhist goddess of compassion. She is said to have 21 different forms and they're each a different color. So she's associated with the rainbow. And since it is associated with compassion, it draws us into a space of compassion for ourselves, whatever we feel in this world that can make us feel unsafe. It also involves a little bit of squeezing, which can help us start to work with the density, the heaviness of not feeling safe. So we'll inhale really deeply through the nose. Exhale for as long as you can without force, but longer probably than you think you might normally. Squeeze below your belly button as you exhale, as if you could squeeze as much air out as possible and keep exhaling. Keep exhaling if you can. Squeeze and exhale. Then a deep breath in. Long exhale, squeezing below your belly button. 
squeezing out all the out breath to make more space to inhale and perhaps to squeeze out some density and tension. Maybe you keep squeezing, keep exhaling, inhaling. Longest exhale you've got, no pressure on yourself, but you just go with it and you squeeze. Press out any density that might be ready to go. Inhale. Long exhale with a squeeze. Keep squeezing if you can. Press it out if you can. One more time. Deep breath in. Longest exhale you've got. Squeezing below your belly button to squeeze out any staleness, any stuckness, any density that is ready to go. And then just let your breath come back and do whatever it does. Sit with yourself for a moment in the effects of this practice. You here, meeting yourself, holding yourself. Though we live in a world that can make us feel incredibly unsafe, just reclaiming a little bit of your agency and creating the conditions for feeling safe within yourself. Not that you are responsible for anyone making you feel unsafe or for the unsafe conditions of the world, but that you are still empowered, no matter what. Take a deep breath in through your nose. Exhale through your mouth. Just a grounding breath. Let's do two more. One more time. Then again, let your breath do what it does. You can start to blink your eyes open. You can start to move your body around. Just coming back from that practice. But the practice doesn't go away from you. My hope is that you will carry whatever you just supported yourself with, whatever you remembered within yourself, whatever you gave to yourself, carry it with you. Because the practice doesn't really stop. And my blessing for us all is loka, samasta, sukino, bhavantu. It's a Sanskrit mantra. May all beings be happy and free. May all beings be safe. Loka, samasta, sukino, bavantu. Thank you for joining me for this awareness offering and for going into embodied practice with me. You can find me on social media at Lara Tara, L A U R A. T-A-R-A on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. 
My intro and outro music was created by none other than my very own brother, Oxella Sun, O-X-E-L-A-S-U-N, whom you can also find on Instagram. <laughs>